0: All right, someone asked me an incredible question today. They said, if you had to pick one idea that could make you a million dollars this year, and it can't be just a newsletter or a blog or an agency, which are usually our go-tos, what would it be? What would you do? One specific idea that you would do. And then he also said, and I want to hear one specific idea that you would do to try to make a billion dollars. That's a good question. And me and Sam are going to answer that right now on this episode yeah. of My Future
1: I feel like I could rule the world. I know I could be what
0: I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel. Never all right, what's up? Back. We're doing our Q&A, and we got one question that we really love.
1: But is the question, Sean, is it a billion dollar in net worth or a company that's worth a billion dollars?
0: I'm going to say it's a company that's worth a billion dollars, and you know you own a big chunk of it. Okay. What's a bi- what's a billion here or there? Okay, look, the company is worth one billion. You're worth one billion. It's all a billion.
1: It changes dramatically. So I know a guy who sold the company for nine hundred million dollars, nine hundred ninety million dollars. You know how much he made after the sale? Three million dollars. That's how much oh, he made. He God. had he had four co-founders or maybe five, and he raised a ton of money and they sold it and he made three million dollars. That, that's insane, right? And I don't. I think that's an extreme case, but I think there's many cases where you create a billion dollar business and you actually walk away with like. Eight percent of the company, right? Which is still a ton of money, but it's a, that's a wild experience. It's
0: like a small ton.
1: <laughs> it's a small ton, it's not as big just, of a ton
0: as people think you get when you're when you make a company that big.
1: Yeah, it just the the, the numbers change things a little bit. But let's just get right into it. The million dollar one. What do you million have? dollar one. All right. So uh, you go first for this one. So a million dollars in, is it net worth? Like, and what do we say, three or four years to do it? Yeah, you got a couple years to do it. You're going to make a million dollars in profit. So to make a million, so I think that there, if you want to make a certain amount of money quickly, you have to ask yourself, is it going to come through annual cash flow? Or is it going to come through selling something like selling a business? Right. So, for example, if you have a business that's earning, let's say $300,000 a year, you in year one, you do $50,000, year two, you do $200,000, year three, you do $300,000. That's not going to add up to a million dollars. However, you could sell that business for maybe $900,000 or maybe a million dollars. So collectively, you can come up with a million bucks. I think the easiest thing to do would probably be to sell the business if you want to make that amount of money in a certain amount of time in like three years. What I would do... So first, do you know Quiet Light Brokerage? Yes. So if I want to make a million dollars in let's say three years, I'm probably not going to invent anything new. I'm just going to copy what works. And I'm going to try maybe not even do it Better. I mean, there's four almost 400 million people in America. Like, I can kind of just figure out someone that already is doing something, and copy right. it, but put a slightly different. Ladies twist and on gentlemen, it. we're
0: not going to be better, faster, or cheaper. We are simply going to be also in the business yeah. of doing this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that
1: <old>, also <that> <laughs> strategy. <laughs> yeah, the me too strategy. Is that what this is? Like, a me also. No, 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 that's
0: a different thing. We don't want me too. We don't want me too.
1: <laughs> we don't want me too. Sorry. The me also strategy. That's what we'll call it. The, the me also strategy. Um, so I would probably go to Quiet Light Brokerage. So Quiet Light Brokerage, I've had a couple friends sell and buy businesses through this. I've had uh, one friend sell a business via Quiet Light Brokerage for $10 million. I had another buddy buy a company for 300000 that ended up making $18 million a year in revenue. Um, And I know those guys at Quiet Light Brokerage, and I've talked to them. And basically, Quiet Light Brokerage is a website where you buy and sell businesses. It's a brokerage, meaning it's not exactly automated. But what you can do is you can see anonymous descriptions of companies that are for sale. You can see what the earnings are. You can see what the revenue is. You can enter in your email, and they'll send you all the financials to the business.
0: All you got to do is say, I'm interested in this business. And then they send you a packet of information about that business, including the name, who the owner is, where it's incorporated, how they got their first customers, how where, where they get their customer makes today, what are the areas for growth. They do this fantastic little interview with the person, which is, if you're buying the business, very useful. But also, if you're executing the me also strategy, it is brilliant. And in fact, we have a friend who did this. We have a friend who was looking at one of these websites saw a business for sale for, I think, like $120,000 or $150,000. One of the smallest businesses for sale, maybe on FlipBus somewhere or something something like that. And he was like, well, I don't have $150,000, but I do have a lot of time to pick your brain. <laughs> and so he picked the brains of a bunch of people. And then they were like, cool, you want to buy it? He's like... No, but you could, you know, you convinced me how uh, easy this is. So, uh, see ya and went and recreated that and sold it for many millions more, and um, th- literally did that. And I think once I heard that, I realized, oh, there are easier ways and harder ways to make ten million dollars, and the easier way is you go look at businesses that are already successful and you reverse engineer which one you could you could create and copy.
1: And, and by the way, I don't think. I think they make you sign an NDA or something like that. So I think you could get sued if you just rip it off entirely. But I think, but I, and that's not exactly what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting be inspired by and do something exactly like it, but slightly different. Sorry, what, what, right. what are they?
0: Well, let's just look at it right now. So for example, I'm scrolling, uh, you go to Quiet Light or whatever. You could use any of these brokerage sites. We, we both like Quiet Light because it's a little curated. So it's, it's less filled with junk, even though, honestly, a lot of these businesses on here are absolute junk. So let me show you one of these junk businesses. So... Um, you go down to the kind of like first sale for two million bucks. Two million bucks is a nice number, right? You could be even a little bit worse in this business and uh, and and still make a million bucks. You could if you sold it for two million after taxes, you have a million dollars. All right. So here it is. It's a FBA business uh, fulfilled by Amazon. It's a money counting machine.
1: And does that mean that they're literally selling a money counting machine? Yeah, like I like or... any business that could be called a min- money printing
0: machine, a money counting machine. In this case, they literally, so this says, launched in 2020 so 3 years ago it says this business sells money counting machines and counterfeit bill detectors to local businesses government agencies restaurants financial services banks event management companies and nonprofits
1: is oh. it one like this like this money counting machine Take that i have off. sitting right here on my do desk you have that right now <laughs> so i have you know, for those now give it a run give it a run that's well. i don't is- have it pl- i don't have it plugged in but oh. so i have i literally have a money counting machine here with counterfeit money on it when I sold my company, Jack Smith, my best friend, he bought me this as like a congratulations. It's $100. I've never used it, but I just like keep it there. And when I have friends that do something interesting, like they sell a company, or they close a big deal, I send it to them and I say, uh, this is either going to be a huge like uh, paperweight or you're actually going to use it. Good luck. <laughs> and it's a nice gift. I, I think this costs $200. <laughs> That's
0: actually great. We should do that for the, for any fan. If you're going through the process of you're going to sell your business... Uh, just email us and we'll send you the counter as the good luck, as our good luck charm from us to you. Uh, that's Whenever,
1: and when I have like my cleaning lady here, I'm like, just so you know, this is fake money. Don't even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Watch this. <Rip> it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's like, it's fake. All this, it's 100 grand in cash that costs Dude, $5 on That's a
0: great trust test. You should uh, just leave it out and see, be like, you know what? Not only did you steal fake money, but you're out of a job too.
1: <laughs> well, that's actually a test I do when I have like new like vendors at my house. Is sometimes I'll leave like a few hundred dollars there, and I know exactly how much is there, and I'll see like what's gonna in a happen? candy
0: bar and see yeah. what happens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so someone's selling literally a money counting machine, money
0: counting machine, one point eight million in revenue, six hundred twenty five thousand dollars of net income, net profit. So they're selling it uh, here, and then if you go and you, you it's a husband and wife duo. They says they spend this. This is a classic on Quiet Light. This is like the, I don't know what Tinder profiles say nowadays. I don't know what the kids are doing, but I know that every business for sale, the owner so spends like five to time. ten hours a week yeah. on it. <laughs> um, they just don't have enough time and energy to devote to growing the business that anybody who steps in could do. Uh, all right. So, anyways, I would look at businesses like this, and uh, seems like what you're saying is you would probably look at what, like, not one, but like maybe twenty to thirty of these, well, just to I, get a good idea, get enough data points.
1: And I would find out which fits my interest. So for example, uh, Sean, click where they have membership. So they have a membership category. They've got media, which I know about media. So I would do that one. But membership is interesting. I think the reason memberships are interesting is I think you could have a really, really, really niche community uh, where you solve a very specific problem. And I'll give you two examples. So for like one could be... So if if you have a job, you maybe work you know, and so you work in whatever industry and you know something, but you have this problem called the knowledge complex where you think, well, everyone knows this, therefore it's not that interesting to teach. And I think that's actually crazy. I think for like two examples are automations for HVAC owners. Another one is outbound sales for like chiropractors or right. uh, for uh, architects. And I think what you can do with things like this is you can charge pretty high amounts. You could charge $500 a month where you get access to content that you update on a regular basis. Um, and then you have a community where all the other participants can share tactics and ideas that they're using to overcome the, the problem that they've all signed up for. Another example is um, a community where you have a database with all the right people who you need to contact. At a certain, within a certain niche, in order to get a sale done. So, for example, let's say you're an agency. It could be like here's all of the buyers of media at the, these companies that you update regularly, and then you could have a community where people are discussing tactics and strategies in order to accomplish that task. And I think when you look at like well, the 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 problem, or you're linking, you're thinking about what the customer is going through when they're going to buy this, which is well, if I spend $3,000 a year on this, if I only get one sale, this is worth it for me. And I get a positive ROI. And I think that sale is significantly easier than selling to consumers where you're having to do a lot of guesswork. With this, if you do $3,000 a year in order to get to a million-dollar sale, I, you'd have to look at what those multiples are. But I think the multiples on the membership sites are like 5 times profit. So to you get to a 1000000 you need $250,000 in profit. To get to $250,000 in profit on a $3,000 Dollar year service it could be just you and a part-time employee or one full-time employee i don't know what that math is but you don't need that many customers in order to hit right. that target and so i would do that over a consumer product because i can just talk to my customers and they could tell me exactly what they want and i'm basically providing a service that they're requesting on a regular basis in order to keep them retained so here, here's
0: the specific example of that uh, exit five i think is the name of it um exit five is like a, a community of b2b marketers and uh, I don't know what they pay per year. It's a little bit less than what you just said, but I think they could be charging, you know, more like twenty five hundred or three thousand dollars. But the big idea here is go get a hundred people paying you three grand a year, and you can even make it exclusive. Be like, this is a community for only one hundred and fifty of the top B two B marketers in the world. We're gonna we're gonna invite you in, and then you're gonna share ideas. Plus, we have this database of whatever, whether it's ad creative networks. We have this database of vendors that are, you know, buyers with their contact info. And we all openly share here. It's a, it's a sort of give to get uh, you know, model. And um, yeah, the thing is probably worth two, three million bucks right now that, that this guy's made and, and you know, 500
1: to a thousand members. And the reason if you're starting from scratch is you don't need that particularly big of an audience. You don't need to, you, you'd cold email people. You would also build an audience. But in order to get to a, let's say you have an audience of 5,000 people which is very attainable to get, particularly if you give it a year, you only need about 100 to 200 people to buy what you're selling in order to hit that target. And so your podcast doesn't need to be huge. Your Twitter handle, your cold email outbound strategy doesn't need to be huge. And so that's probably what I would do to get to a million dollars. What do you think about that?
0: Well, you have you basically said two ideas, right? That was a two-for-one special. You had go to Quiet Light or a, a business brokerage and find a business that you can either reverse engineer or legitimately, so, you know, reverse engineer, we kind of say, and that's, I would say a little bit generously, let's call it scrappy, the scrappy way to do things. You don't have any money. You, uh, you know, you need to get, you know, rather than just try to come up with an idea from scratch, when you're kind of a beginner, the better way is to go learn what businesses actually work, how they work, why they work. Go look at 30 to 50. That's like a real world NBA that you picked up and then find one of those that you think you could mimic and put your own twist on. Right. That's that's idea one you had. By the way, with that comes also you could just buy the business. So, for a lot of these, even a $2 million business, you can um, go get an SBA loan. A lot of these will say that they're SBA loan el- eligible. So, let's say that you're in the United States, you can go get an SBA loan, put down 10 to 15%. So, if you can go get 200 grand, you could buy a $2 million business that's doing 600, k of profit um, per year. And so, you could actually go buy that business and just try to grow it because actually. Getting a business from zero dollars in revenue to two million in revenue or one point eight million in revenue is pretty hard relative to taking a business that's at one point eight and getting it to three point one million, for example. Like, you know, adding an extra million of revenue to a business already working is actually much easier than going from zero to one. For sure. I think you got both options on the table there. It's just more risk. Well, yeah, there's there's a little bit more risk because you're personally liable for the for the for the loan there. So you know you have to buy a good business. You have to you have to be able to know what a good business is, and that's where maybe some mentors could help. Um, the other business, the other idea you said was basically a membership service, uh, a membership a membership community for some niche, right? That's kind of like some, a separate idea. It, it,
1: it has to solve a specific problem. So a lot of these, like you'll see a lot out there that are. Memberships for launching a business. That's not specific. That's not nearly specific enough. It's got to be geared towards employees and, and like there's a clear beginning, middle, and end, and there's an outcome. uh, Right. And there's a clear ROI as opposed to like accountability or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Right, right,
0: right. Nothing soft and fluffy. Um, All right. So those are good. I think those are really good. In fact, I think the first one you said is, I think, the right answer. Um, That's what I would. In reality, that's what I would go do. But to make it fun, I'm going to come up with some other ideas.
1: So is that what you had?
0: Uh, that's what I would. It's like if it was my cousin and my cousin's like, yo, how do I do this? I'd be like, all right, look, this is what we're doing. Um, you need to do this. Worst case scenario, you're going to go learn what a bunch, a bunch a bunch, of blueprints for successful businesses. And maybe you don't pull the trigger on any of them, but still was a good use of your time. And best case scenario, you find one of these that you say, I could do that. And either you buy it or you're going to like remix it and create your own version of that. If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. So that is, I think, the right answer. The second right answer would be an e-commerce company because it's not hard to build an e-commerce brand either on on Amazon or or on Shopify that can sell for a million dollars, but kind of, again, a boring answer. So I'm going to give you a more fun answer. So... Here is, uh, here's one idea. The four most beautiful letters in the English language are QSBS. All right, (laughs) so what's the QSBS idea? You're going to create a QSBS advisory firm. Well, what is that? That's super niche. Eh, Technically, this might be considered an agency, but but I think we'll allow it because it's so specific and niche here and off the beaten path. So here's what you're going to do. Now, when any company starts, uh, a tech company starts, that's going to be QSBS eligible. That QSBS eligibility is worth to a lot. You have to say what
1: QSBS is. Oh, sorry. QSBS
0: is a tax treatment for qualified small business stock. What that means is that if you're a business that fits like these five criteria, which most tech companies fit, then when you sell, if you've held the stock for five years or even if it's a little bit less than that, you can still kind of roll it over. Um, your first $10 million of your gain are going to be tax-free.
1: Not and only most tech companies, most new C-corps that hold for five years well, would, would right. fall under There are this. some
0: exceptions, like you can't do it if you're a doctor or lawyer or real estate. Like There are things that are excluded. But again, that's kind of the point here. It's QSBS advisory. We're going to help you figure out, are you eligible or not? And we're going to provide a letter that says, we attest to the, you know the belief that this is going to be qualified small business stock. Now, why is this easy to do? Why is my strategy this? Well, if I'm trying to make money, it's kind of like you described with the membership. I need to create 10 times more than I'm taking, right? This is a general rule of life. That's probably a good rule of life. Create more value than you're trying to take. And that's what I'd be trying to do here. So I was looking for something where with a small amount of work, I could create a lot of value for my customer. Well, all right, that sounds generic, but like in this case, if my stock is going to be QSBS uh, eligible, that might save me $10 million down the road. And that's a pretty big, huge benefit. So would I pay $5,000 or $10,000 for, um, you know, in legal fees in order to, in advisory fees in order to um, protect my possible $10 million gain? I would. And I think a lot of people do. And so what, what I would do here is I would build an advisory firm that says, we are QSBS experts. We know the ins and outs of QSBS. We're respected. Uh, I would hire maybe lawyers or accountants that have done this before. And I would say, hey, on a as-needed basis, I'm going to, when I get a customer, I will pay you whatever, $300 an hour, $500 an hour for your time to do an assessment and write a letter that basically assesses the eligibility you think for QSBS. Now, QSBS is not like a black and white thing. Um, it's not like a, QSPS is basically when you, when you get the sale, you d- declare, you say, this falls under QSPS. But if you ever got audited, you'd have to be able to protect, you know, uh, defend that. Why did you say it was QSPS eligible? And so what companies and individuals do is they will go, to, go get a letter that basically says, we as experts have looked at this business and we believe that this is going to be QSPS. This is Q- qualified small business stock.
1: You know, like the 409, uh, what's it called? The 409. The a, yeah. Four, so when in order to do a bunch of stuff with your business, you a lot of times tech companies have to get valued every year I for every for purposes. Year,
0: every year you should get valued. And then that also is necessary when you want to issue new stock or whatever uh, for employees or for investors. You simply set a benchmark for four nine
1: eight. But there's a lot of companies that do this as a service where you spend 5 or $10 five to ten thousand dollars and you don't actually give them that much information you give them your financials and then they ask you to submit like 10 publicly traded competitors and then they just like say all right we think that your valuation is blank and you you spend five to ten thousand dollars i think for that you're basically you want it
0: to be low usually so usually what you try to do is get a low foreign a so that everybody's options are priced low um so it's like you're not not even like you're trying to justify a high valuation. You're actually trying to justify a low valuation in most cases.
1: And it's kind of crony capitalism a little bit. Like they'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll make it low. And they or right. we'll we'll be fair. And then they wink at you uh, and they like <laughs> set it really low. But uh, yeah, basically you're you're what you're suggesting is doing the same thing for QSBS, which yeah, is Yeah,
0: and 409A is an equally valid idea. But what I would do is I would I would create this firm. What I like about the QSBS thing is it's a little bit higher ticket. So typically these people will charge, let's say Ten to fifteen thousand dollars for the initial attestation letter. I don't know if I'm saying that word right. Um, But then on top of that, you could even charge kind of like an ongoing fee because there are all these like foot faults. So it's not just like a. There is some genuine help. So for example, oh, you're going to sell secondary. There's things you might do wrong when you sell secondary that could disqualify you. There's disqualifying events, and so uh, you know you can't bill for revenue in specific ways. If it's categorized as X, it might take you out of QSBS eligibility. And so it's just an insurance policy. It's a cover your ass. It's a legal thing. It's something people don't want to do themselves. It's too high risk to do yourself. Um, And you literally can't do it yourself because you can't write the letter for yourself. And so uh, you don't have to have it, but it is a nice to have. And what I would do is I would go scare the living shit out of every tech company that I find on Crunchbase. And I would say, don't you want this $10 million exclusion for you? It's, It's per person, by the way. It's not per company. So it's per Tax return. So let's say there's a company with uh, that's gonna be gonna be big. Every single one of those executives is gonna want their stock to be QSBS eligible. And so I would go to them and I would scare the living shit out of them that they might get this wrong. And I would tell them, "Don't worry, we can cover this for you. And here's how we'll cover it for you: pay us whatever, either the lump sum up front or a monthly recurring fee or an annual recurring fee fifteen hundred dollars a year, two thousand dollars a year." And we will uh, kind of make sure we're your advisory on that so that, you know, you're covered at the end of the day.
1: That's a pretty brilliant and,
0: idea, actually. You know, if you just think about it, right, how do you get to, let's say, we talked about to sell a company for over a million dollars. Let's just round up and say you got to have $300,000 of, um, of annual net profits. So how do you get to $300,000 of annual net profits if you're charging, you know, roughly $10,000 a year? You only need 30 customers a year.
1: 30 yeah. customers a year.
0: I've taken shits bigger than that. Come on, <laughs> if you can't get to a million dollars this way, you can't get to it anyway, right? I think what holds a lot of people back would be there's not going to be a bunch of these. So this, this is not like you can't bring up 10,000 of these like you know social media marketing agencies. There can be a million of those. Um, you have to have some expertise or partner with people who have expertise. So they send you know some of the some of the the mechanics of how to do it. But man, there's niches and riches, and like that's not that hard to do to get to. And a there's so that many upsells to that.
1: Which is like the key to selling a company is they say, all right, well, how does this grow? And you say, well, do these companies also need a 409, 409A? Right. Do they also need these other legal services? Do they? Uh, of course they do. That's how you do it. And you and you sell the dream a little bit of what the expansion revenue comes from. And the key uh, here is great you idea. don't
0: need to be a law firm. So there's rule, all, all kinds of rules around who can own a law firm. You don't actually have to be a law firm to do this because it's not... Legal work—it's advisory, and it's like some blend of like legal, accounting, and just advisory. And so, I think because of that, you don't need to be a law firm if you do this. And by the all way, right. I, I've worked brilliant. with somebody who does this. If anybody actually needs this letter, uh, feel free to email me. I'll I'll, I'll route you to the guide. You can
1: you can actually use this. Because hey, what are you gonna be like the mob and take a cut for making the introduction? You should. I got to get my beak wet too. All right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, that's actually better than my idea, by the way, because I actually think this is simpler because it's already a service others are providing and you're just basically connecting.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I would look for things like that. I had like five other ideas that would fit this, but
1: okay, for this exercise, we're doing one. Now let's move
0: on to the main event, the billion
1: dollar idea. By the way, do I get a thrill of the shill before we get to the billion dollar idea? Oh, hold on. What time is it?
0: It is time for the thrill of the shill. Sam, you're up your first time providing the thrill of the shill. For those who don't know, this is where we shamelessly shill one of our companies. But we have to do it in a thrilling way, meaning we got to provide some value, some entertainment, some insight. We got to provide something, a little something. Um, We got to have attributes if we're going to do this. Here we go. Thrill of the shill.
1: I'm going to try and keep this one short because this this might be a short episode. But basically, I remember in 2017, I went to NerdWallet, nerdwallet nerdwallet.com. I went to their office. Tim Chen was the CEO and founder. He invested in the hustle. And I remember being like, Tim I'm freaking out man my expenses went up because of payroll from 30,000 to $80,000 a month and at the time they had just rented Twitter's old office and they were you know they probably had a payroll of 3 million dollars a month or maybe <laughs> even 5 million dollars a month and I remember he looked at me funny and he was like trying to be empathetic and he was nice and he, and he kind of like was nice by saying oh wow wow yeah i understand and i was like tim i'm so stressed out about this and what he said to me was basically look, you kind of have to detach yourself and your payroll needs to just... you just It's just a number on an Excel sheet. And you just have to like figure out, how, do I deploy this much money here? And what's my outcome going to be? And what's my profit going to be? And that didn't sit well with me until about 12 months ago. So I launched this company called Hampton. Um, joinhampton.com. It's like a community for founders who are doing at least a million in revenue, but the average member is like 25 million a year. And I remember like that freaking me out forever. We had a team retreat last week and I went out there and right now we've got 16 full-time employees or f- 15 including me and then we've also employed I think 50 facilitators now. So in like 18 months we've created what's that? 70 or 65 jobs, something like that. And I am so not stressed about it this year. This is the only time I've not been stressed about payroll and providing people because the way that we've looked at it is exactly how Tim has explained where it's just like, what's my input? What's my output? And this idea of being like a capital allocator. I've never had that where it's like been as clear cut as well, I hired this person, I get this much out after three months. It's completely changed how I've... Um, how I've run this company, and it's made me so much more relaxed. And I don't know what made that shift other than his conversation. But you know what I'm talking about, Have you ever like been well, through this Well,
0: we both used to be kind of like, oh, if you're an entrepreneur, you're a product maker. And like we'd be sitting there writing, you know, you're writing the hustle. and you know I'm sitting there in in designing things and working with the engineers trying to make a product. But there is an up level of that, which is at as at, once you build the product and the product has part which Hampton does has product market fit, people like it. they use it. they they're in it. Now you're a capital allocator. Basically, you're, take, you're, you're just deciding where resources go. So um, I need to be able to, like, you can't be tight on money because money is your job. You have to deploy that in a way that's going to get more output than the input. And sometimes you'll miss, you're not going to be 100%. But no. knowing that that's the job makes it easier. And it sounds like having the right conversation at the right time from somebody who's a peer of yours
1: was the key. Yeah. And that's, by the way, one of the whole things about Hampton is that you have peers with other entrepreneurs that are of similar size companies that that you have. And anyway, that like learning, I remember having our team offsite at previous companies. And I'm like, how, like, this person just had a baby. Basically, I just had a baby. How am I going to create enough (laughs) revenue in order to like provide for this kid? Cause that's how it feels at first. Or you're like,
0: no, you didn't. <laughs> I did, remember?
1: Yeah. Like, I'm hey, uh, the one who did that. <laughs> hey, Jess, when's our baby shower? Uh, <laughs> and I just I, and This year, it's been... Or, or you'll be like, this person costs two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. There's no way that's a fair salary. Right. And it's like well, that's not that's how a house you, where I'm from. Are you a yeah, house? Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can I live in you? Do you have three beds and a bath?
0: <laughs> if not. I'm not paying you two hundred and fifty
1: thousand dollars. <laughs> so that's been my biggest takeaway this year with running Hampton. So anyway, if you're particularly if you're listening to this and you do at least fifty million in revenue, we're building groups for that. Joinhampton.com. All right. Let's do uh the billion dollar one. Yeah. You, you want me to go first? Can I go first? Okay, go. All right, I'm going to steal one of your lines. So, Sean, what if I told you I had an idea? <laughs> this I'm is leaning. your line. I'm leaning what, in. What, what, <laughs> what if I told you I had an idea that Elon Musk himself would be bigger than Tesla? Would that interest you? I'd be,
0: I'd be fairly interested. Keep, keep going.
1: <laughs> Do you know who, uh, I think his name is Kai-Fu Lee. Do you know who that investor is? He's the. Uh, no, sounds awesome, though. He's a a famous Chinese investor, basically one of the early guys at Apple, early at Google. He wrote a great book about why China is amazing in terms of like why they're going to beat America. And he was saying that this thing is going to replace forty percent of jobs inside the next twelve years. Would that interest you? I I, I would love to replace forty percent of jobs in the next twelve years. (laughs) I think about that often. (laughs) Now, if you're thinking I'm talking about AI, you're wrong. Here's here here's what it is: it's humanoids. Humanoids. That's what. That's the technical term. Basically, imagine Robocop or imagine ch- machines, and I think that those whole uh, business of humanoids, which is robots to automate a lot of processes, but a lot of people think like just blue collar jobs, but that's not entirely true. It's like every type of job. So Elon Musk said that um, the Tesla has is working on humanoids. I think it's called Optimus, is what it's called, and he went on to say that uh, like at a recent investor call, he was like. Not a lot of you people are talking about Optimus, our robots. But I think that's crazy because this is actually going to be bigger than our car business, bigger than self-driving, bigger than solar. It's going to be bigger than everything. And I don't think you guys realize how big this is going to be. I invested in this company uh, in a space called Figure. And I talked to Brett Adcock. We had him on here. And he basically has me convinced that this is going to be like the biggest industry mover in the next like 10 or 15 years. And I think that what I would do... You
0: invested in Figure?
1: Yeah, is that, is that, did I tell you that for Um, the 30th time? No, 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 no. (laughs) I've I've never told you that.
0: That's funny. But uh, what valuation?
1: $300 million, I think. Okay, that's not bad. And I invested. I mean, it's bad, but it's not that bad. Well, I invest, and I invested a lot for me, which I think is around $60,000.
0: Well, yeah, he's like your hero. So, you know, you actually just paid for
1: some time. with Yeah, I paid for access. I paid for him to reply to a text. Uh, (laughs) But basically, that that was a lot of money for me. I I don't normally invest that much. But my reasoning is, is like this could, I could see it going out of business, which is incredibly likely. I could see it selling for $3 billion or I could see it becoming like a $50 billion company. Um, But it's like any angel investment. I think the likelihood of it going out of business is, incredibly high. But basically, here's my reasoning. If you are why, reasoning why I think this could be a big company, I think this is going to be like one of the biggest things that happens in the next 15 years. I think that the people who are working on this space are typically like hardcore uh, hardware engineering nerds. And I think that I could spend a year going to every meetup going to Carnegie Mellon, which I think a lot of these folks come from. And I think I could find a handful of people and do a really good job of organizing these people around a company. I think that I could do a good job of cold emailing the Brett Adcocks of the world and getting in with them as well as some of the older guys in the space and making them like open up to me and say, what are tangentially like the areas that you're not attacking that are interesting? I think I can get them to explain to me uh, these problems. I think that... Um, I think this is so big that there's going to be more of these robots than there are humans, and I also think that when you, cr- in order to create a billion-dollar company, or a company that can net you a billion dollars, that's just you have to go huge. And you, I think that the odds are, what I'm doing personally in my life, I don't have a goal becoming a billionaire, but I think that could happen. Is I'm creating companies that sell for a small amount of money, and then I'm letting compounding, kind of like do the rest. That's going to take me 50 or 80 years. Who knows how long that's going to take me. But if you want to make it in a short amount of time, you pretty much have to raise VC. And you have to do it in an industry that's like a tidal wave where you're just trying to catch that wave. If you want to do it in like 10 years, rather. Um, And so I think I would go into the humanoid space. What do you think about that?
0: Well, as you know, I love that idea because I was going to say that idea, and you said no. Can I say that idea today? And I said, all "That's right, not fine. what I said. <laughs> I said." I said, "I said please, I've please, literally please, please, written please. that out already." Can I have that? Will you send me that, and I'll say it with my lips? <laughs> and I was like, "All right, fine, bro." Um, well, let me tell you something interesting. All right, let me add to it. So, obviously, hundred percent agree. I think I, I actually was specifically thinking like. Um, warehouse robots like I would even just kind of narrow it down and be like all right uh if I was really going to do this I would try to figure out what job in a warehouse I can eliminate by using a robot Um, which is what like packing boxes basically I would look at the minimum wage labor class and I would say um nobody wants minimum wage essentially the workers don't want to be minimum wage the employers don't want to pay minimum wage and get like kind of a flaky output and so I had a friend once that was telling me, he's like, uh, I invest in companies with no product market fit risk. It's my friend Vishal. And I said, what do you mean? I've never, I just thought every startup has product market fit risk. That's the whole point. You're trying to get to product market fit. He goes, no, I invest with no product market fit risk. I never heard that before. And he goes, I'm just looking for technical risk, meaning if you could build it, the job is done. And he's like, of course, you'll still go sell it. But like, there, it will be so easy at that point, the market will obviously absorb this if it can actually do it. There are many things like this. So like self-driving, if you can actually make self, safe self-driving cars, cars that do not crash that are, you know, uh, self-driving. And obviously, there's always the edge cases, but there's an infinite market demand for people not to want to be driving and sitting in traffic and having their car parked instead of having it go run around and earn the money by dropping people off. And so he, his idea, you know, he invested in this pizza robot company. So it was like, basically... Which was awesome. Zoom. Yeah, well, there was there was like a few of them at the time. I don't think any of them worked out. There's always like these waves and it's like it was too early. The tech wasn't there and all the companies crash and burn. But like the next wave should start right now. And actually, that's maybe where I would go with this. So he's like, you know, if you're Domino's, do you want to pay, you know, whatever? I don't know what they pay. Fifteen dollars an hour for somebody who's going to call in sick. They're going to be checking their phone. They're going to be goofing off. They're going to be eating pepperonis off the pizzas. They're going to, you know, uh, they're going to get in fights with the other people there. And you know, then they leave and then you have to replace them and then you have to train that new person. Or would you rather buy one machine that prints a perfect pizza every single time, 24-7, never calls in sick, never complains, never asks you for more money, never asks for a raise, never spits in the food, never does anything. Would you rather have that? It's like, oh, of course. You would always have the robot that makes the perfect pizza. And he's like, making a pizza is incredibly like, it's a, it's a sandboxed thing. It's like not like a robot that can do anything. It's a specific robot That can make a pizza it can flatten the dough into a perfect circle apply the cheese apply the sauce whatever bake it for a certain time and then put it in the box and cut it and like that's what that needs to do and i'm gonna you know so so what i would do is i would go and do exactly what you said like go to mit go to carnegie mellon and be like hey guys we're building a pizza robot and when we do there's whatever how many pizza chains you know how many pizza restaurant locations? how many pizza
1: chains in the u.s And by the way, there was a company called Zoom, 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 I forget, that went out of business and people made fun of them. They're like, in the headlines, they got totally mocked. They raised $500 million. That was cool. And that definitely could have worked. I think they screwed it up. They like went, they like made restaurants that you could go to. That that was not right. There's 80,000
0: pizza chain, pizza restaurants in the country, 80,000. And you would start with the chains because the chains actually have the most to gain by doing this, right? And they would help you. They'll have budget. They'll they'll sign letters of intent. Like I remember when Boom Supersonic, the airplane company, came out at YC, and they were like, "Yeah, we have a hundred million dollar purchase order from like uh, Richard Branson. If we could build this plane, they're going to buy it." So now the question is, do you think me and this pack of nerds behind me can build this plane? That's the bet. And like whether you do or don't believe it, that was the bet. And I like that idea. Me too. Uh, I'll I'll tell you another thing about the robotics thing. Before I I like
1: test, I like tech a little bit more than like demand risk for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree. Me me too. Um, even though that's not at all how I've, you know, thought about it before. But if I was going to go try to build a billion dollar company, I would go try to build one with only tech risk and not demand risk. Um, so there's, here, I'm going to tell you a little, little story here. So shout out to this guy, Abe. You probably don't know Abe, but his boss, Kevin Ryan, came on the pod. So Kevin Ryan comes oh, cool. on the pod. He's fascinating. But like, He had this aura of, I'm a badass who does badass things, but I'm kind of busy. And so, uh, of course, Ben applied Ben's law. So the the Ben's law, for those who don't know, is you don't try to contact Sean. You contact Ben. Ben is the faster, more approachable, smarter, better better human being to to approach and get the insight on and, and get in touch with me than trying to go to me directly. And so Ben applied Ben's law. Ben goes and he finds Kevin Ryan's Ben. And so he finds the number two that's, you know, like there. And so he finds this guy, Abe, Abe Murray. And uh, I was I'm subscribed to Abe's newsletter. And he just had a good one, which he goes, um, he goes, why the consensus view of robotics is wrong. And he goes, I think that most people think, uh, you know, the, the future of robots is this humanoid. And maybe a humanoid that walks and has arms and legs uh, is, the, is the eventual solution. But that might be too far out right now. And actually, we should look at the most successful robot in the world today. What is it? The dishwasher. (laughs) It's installed in everybody's home already. It's a robot dishwasher. It replaced that job of having to wash dishes for the majority of homes. And he goes, it doesn't have arms and legs. It doesn't look like a human. It is a purpose-built robot that solves one specific need. And they have some company called Renovate Robotics. And the picture is basically, it's a robot that sits on a roof. That does roofing jobs, so it'll go and it'll replace a roof. Basically, it just goes up and down your roof, uh, you know, or like not replace, but like you know, uh, lay down the roof or whatever, like you know, install a roof on on a home. And he's like, if this works, it's going to be. He's like, we just did the first robotically installed roof. If this works, again, you have lower cost, higher quality, more like consistency, uh, more availability. You know, for for roofing companies. And so I like this idea of. These purpose-built specific robots, the equivalent of dishwashers and pizza-making robots and roofing robots. Uh, If I was going to do the billion-dollar idea, that's what I would do. But I'll listen to their homepage. Their
1: homepage is: labor is the biggest challenge for roofers. Our robots make roofers twice as productive and improve safety by reducing work at height. Easy. That's an easy sale. Another, and I'll wrap this up. Another reason why robots are interesting is you are only working within the laws of physics, and the laws of physics, I find. I find those to be a bit easier to work in compared to say creating the next Louis Vuitton. Right. Like to creating a brand or consumer product, I actually think it's more complicated than just saying, well, I like because that's an infinite number of options. Within hardware, it's just like <laughs> it's just like so much simpler and straightforward versus generating demand or creating a brand that people love or creating a social product that people love, which is so much more rare and more challenging.
0: Have you heard the Elon Musk quote? Uh, the the only real laws are physics. Everything else is a recommendation.
1: No, but that's <laughs> brilliant.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, so that's a great idea. I think these uh, purposeful robots.
1: Um, that's a great idea. I came up with. Says you.
0: <laughs> well, no, I was saying that's these 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 this robot idea. I think is is the right idea. Um, and, by the way, here's a way to like create more luck like this. My, our buddy Furkan uh, has this space in San Francisco. Called called Founders Inc, Inc. And what he did, I was like, so what's the plan? He's like, I'm just going to recruit like the smartest hackers I can find and just be like, hey, here's a free office. Here, I'm going to help you out and I'm going to invest in you before you even know what the hell you're doing. And uh, I'm going to help you get these off the ground. I was like, well, that's great, but how are you going to get the best hackers? He goes, I'm going to give them toys. So what do you mean toys? He goes, I took the first floor of the entire office. There's no desks. It's just a hardware robotics lab. He's like, so I'm buying like 3D printers, drones, laser cutting equipment, robotic arms, stuff that the average hacker can't buy. You know, the average, you know, 22 year old engineer can't go buy this, you know, $15,000 thing or $30,000 thing, but Furcon could buy it. And he's like, I'm just going to make it available for free and come in here and work on it. And so now he's got in that lab, there's a guy who's got a brain device that you put on your head. And it like makes you more focused. There's a guy who's there's a company called Orangewood Labs that basically they have this robotic arm that can um d- do whatever you program it to do. So when I went in there, they were like, watch, we're gonna make it uh, you know, make a margarita. Watch this. Uh we can make this and the the application they're doing is painting or like, I don't know, powder coating or something like that. Yeah, powder coating. they were coating.
1: like, You ever done powder coating? And I was like, No.
0: It's like, you know really what it is? dangerous, I like, too. I was like, no, stop asking me questions. And they're
1: like, Well I think everything is powder coater.
0: Yeah, it's basically like how you you know, all you do it on floors, you do it on mis- any metals or whatever, like for a car yeah. or something like that. So they're like, yeah, this thing can powder coat basically ba- better and faster, like automatically. Um, and so we could do jobs at like, you know, one fifth of the price of a human being because we just give them the robot, the robot just goes and does it and then it comes home and that's it. And so I was like, "Oh, interesting." Uh, but there's a lot of people building stuff like this. And one way to increase serendipity is to like go to these kind of hardware labs, or f- go find out where they hang out, and just go talk to people, see what they're what they're building. And, and a lot of these people who do this,
1: they're not, they're not. A lot of them don't care about business. A lot of them are unorganized. It's like the the typical like scientist who wears like who forgets to put one sock on and only wears like one sock or like <laughs> their shoes on on the wrong foot. It's like they're just like these brilliant people who don't necessarily care about stuff. And I think if you can be the organizer, right. you can win. Um, what do you have?
0: All right. So my path to a billion. Uh do you want the dark idea or you want the light idea? Do you want the, the good idea or the evil idea? Which one do you want?
1: Oh, I don't know. Uh, th- that's uh, I want to go dark. I think, but okay, is that I can realistic? give you
0: both, but I'll do the dark one fast. So here's the here's the big pitch for the dark idea: Anduril for some other country. <laughs> so <that's it. laughs> you could figure the rest out from there. Uh, what Palmer Lucky has done with Anduril for the U.S. Defense Department, do it for Israel. Do it for uh, do it for another country. Go find a country that wants you know, advanced weapons technology and be like, cool, I'm going to recruit the brightest minds and we're going to give us like, you know, a 50 million to 150 million dollar contract and we'll get started here.
1: Dude, Palmer's um, on a tear lately. And like I would every... literally
0: go look at the roadmap for Andrew I'd be like, oh, they built this like uh, missile that can fly itself, you know, and lives in this like vending machine. I don't know if you saw that video of like.
1: Yes, it's amazing. Man. He's on a tear
0: inside. I'd be like, cool. Do you pick from the Andruil menu? We're going to figure out how to build those and you guys will own the IP. That's what I would do if I really had to, you know, if I was, if I wanted to go into more of the the gray or dark areas where it's, you know, there's a bit of war and destruction involved. But here's the light idea. Here's another idea. Um, We're buying a university. Okay. So what are we doing? There are a lot of colleges for sale. More than you would think. Uh, are they on Quiet Light? They're on DealStream. So go to a, a website called
1: DealStream. Come on. That was kind of funny.
0: Well, they could be. DealStream is literally like Quiet Light. It's just different name. It's the same idea. It's a business All brokerage. Right. Uh, but if you look colleges for sale, they're they are there and they're not that expensive. You could buy colleges for like $5 million, $10 million. More MFM in just a minute. First, let me tell you about one of the joys in my life. And that is a virtual assistant. You know, Here's the scenario. I'm running my companies. I spend 30% of my time just doing random bullshit. The stuff that has to get done but it's not creativity. It doesn't require me and it doesn't add a bunch of value to the business. It's just stuff. And so that stuff is what a virtual assistant does. So having a virtual assistant is a no-brainer, whether it's travel booking, email inbox, or just, Knocking stuff off your personal to-do list that would have just lingered there forever. I think it's a no-brainer. If you're a business owner, you should definitely do it. I think one of the best places to find an assistant is Shepherd. So go to supportshepard.com, super affordable. It's something that, um, you know, you don't need to have the biggest business ever be the biggest big shot in order to afford it. So it's amazing. Go to supportshepard.com, check them out and tell them I sent you. They'll take good care of you if you do that. So supportshepard.com, check it out. All right, let's get back to the pod. So to do this, you're gonna need a lot of money. But the good news is that universities are worth a lot of money. Like what would you peg the value at? Let's start at the top end. Like, what do you think Stanford or Harvard is worth? If somebody really if if mega billionaire genius wanted to buy Stanford or Harvard, what what would it even cost? Could it could I couldn't even cost? know what would, the would, price it be, would it be like a a Harvard, a hundred plus billion dollars? I mean, the endowment alone, I think, is like. What the endowment alone is almost hundred billion dollars, right? So like yeah, it's hard the to whole, even. It's the whole enchilada has got to be five hundred billion. It might like these are companies that are worth. Sorry, the universities are essentially properties that are worth,
1: you know, a Facebook. <laughs> they're crazy. They're crazy. Man. Harvard endowments is is fifty three billion. So yeah, I don't know. They, it, a hundred
0: to $200 billion, 300 billion, something like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: like so big that it's hard to understand.
0: Hard to even fathom, right? Not for sale. Can't be bought. Essentially, same thing with Stanford. Now let's even go to like a Belmont, right? So like let's just do some quick math
1: here. <laughs> Where uh, I went Belmont you, University. You went to Belmont.
0: What's the tuition at Belmont?
1: Back then it was thirty thousand. Let's see what it is now. Belmont University tuition thirty eight thousand dollars.
0: All right, so thirty eight thousand dollars, and how many students go to Belmont? Let's say five thousand. A thousand uh, per year, per year or per co- or the whole whole university.
1: You could say, um, let's say eighteen hundred per year. All right, so let's go. Let's round up to two thousand.
0: So even a small, small private school. Where where is Belmont? I don't even know where it
1: is. Nashville, Tennessee. It looks like they have seventy three hundred students. So two thousand per class. Let's say. Cool. So seventy six million dollars top line.
0: That's not counting endowments. That's not counting gra- grants and research. It's not counting the fact that it's tax free. That it's uh, has like all these other benefits like we so can actually before. see
1: see the numbers by the way that belmont's uh annual revenue is 464 million dollars their expenses are 350 million dollars so they make 100 million dollars a year in profit they only have 200 million dollars in liabilities and they have 1.5 billion dollars in asset
0: and that's for a, m- a middle Belmont. of nowhere university yeah. so that's the game plan we're, we're building one of those. Now, what are we going to do? So we're going to go buy one. What are we buying? We're essentially buying two things. I want the campus and I want the liquor license. And by liquor license, I mean the accreditation. As long as it's already accredited, <laughs> I don't want to have to go through that process. Now, uh, why do I want a campus? Because I want the land. I want the buildings. I want the depreciation. I want a physical place because I think it adds to the prestige. Um, we will have a large online component, but whatever. Now, The main goal goal here is we got to brand this school. And so what are we going to do? We're going to make it a bit of a luxury product, meaning it's going to be only for the elite of the elite. So, um, yeah, we have to have a lower acceptance rate than Harvard. We have to be known for... We're going to sponsor competitions for like math mathlete type of competitions, hardcore science competitions. We are going to go around the country to high schools and basically be like, we're going after gamers, programmers, and hardcore math kids. And we're going to sponsor a ton of competitions. Guess what those sponsorships cost? Pizza. The currency is essentially (laughs) you provide free pizza. There is no competition. When I was doing our esports company that we sold to Twitch, I was like, all right, we want to create the world's biggest high school esports league. And we did in like less than a year. Guess what it cost? (laughs) Like 450 pizzas is what it cost me to like sponsor these programs. Uh, It costs nothing. And so we're going to go and we're going to first... We're going to get in front of them now uh, when i why did i go to duke university i went because like in fifth grade duke did something called the nationwide talent identification program and i'll be damned if my mom didn't want to find out if her kid was talented and so we take this test and we take this test. And it's Is that like the university. Indian
1: version of like, a, uh, like one of those model competitions they have at the mall when you're 12? <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a beauty <laughs> It's like sports, but for brown people. So, um,
1: <laughs> so my
0: mom puts me in this. I really, actually, I think every kid in my school took it. They just went to the school and they were like, hey, we're trying to identify the most talented, gifted and talented kids.
1: Also, and, parents, can you put your uh, income on the statement as well? So, <laughs> <Yeah>, Exactly. Because <laughs> that impacts your IQ a little bit. And, uh, you know, we got to get paid. <laughs> so
0: I got a score back and a goodie bag. And literally, the goodie bag was a Rubik's Cube. And I, I don't know what the hell was going on. But whatever that is, I'm going to go find the marketing coordinator that did this Duke Talent Identification Program. We're stealing that. We're going to go get them while they're young. Fifth, sixth grades. We're going to be identifying these special, you know, special gifted, talented kids. Uh, so we're making it super prestigious. You already know the name is going to have some old money shit, right? You know, you know, um, you know. We're going. We're, I've already done this before with the private school names. But
1: yeah, it's going to be like Bridgemont, Oakland, or Waldorf, something. Uh, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> <Yeah>. Kennedy, Excelsior.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're we're definitely going that way. Um, we're going to have our own entrance exam, so we don't take the SATs because we're not peasants. And so you're going <laughs> to. Uh, we're going to go from city to city and we're going to have our own entrance exam. It's going to be a six-point exam. Uh, I don't know what that means, but let's just say that's what it is. Um, Now, what else are we going to do? You know these speaker bureaus where you can go pay like $50,000 for Obama to speak?
1: Yeah. We're doing that. More like Like, $2 million for Obama, but yeah.
0: Okay, well, we got a budget. All right, and the budget's <laughs> going to be like... We have like a $6 million speaker budget. So when I'm raising this money for this, I'm going to basically raise 50 to $75 million, maybe $100 million for this. And a lot of that is front-loaded in brand building. And one of the things we're going to do is about 5 to $6 million a year in speaker fees. And so I'm basically going to pull the Sam Bankman-Fried without the fraud. So you know Sam Bankman-Fried took the money and basically was like, how do I hey, just Tom Brady. brainwash everybody that FTX is like a thing and it's legitimate? He's like, Tom Brady... Um, Larry David, Steph Curry, this arena, oh, uh, uh, this guy is like a super connector in Hollywood. I'm gonna put 100 million dollars into his fund, and now he's gonna make, he's gonna get me, you know, dinner with Bill, Bill and Hillary Clinton, and like that's what he literally did. And although he did a bunch of screwed up things, honestly, it's kind of inspiring the way he just threw his weight around using money to like build a brand. Um, if he had not literally stolen money from customer deposits to do so. That would have just been an incredible uh, a- approach by an entrepreneur. Like it actually would have been very like lauded of how he did it. The same way that like you know Uber is is sort of praised for the way it just like brute forced its way into to different cities and actually like built a huge global brand. So that's what I would do. So speaker fees, those are going on the website. Those are going viral um, to get those people to do like kind of speeches to our kids. Um, and we're going to also spend a ton of money on direct marketing. So no university really goes D to C except for the low end University of Phoenix type of shit. Um, that's crazy. And by the
1: way, they are amazing at it. They are They're really good at it. At it. They built a They're like $5 billion your
0: business doing it.
1: In the world of like dr- direct response, there's like financial newsletters. Then there's like Omaha Steaks, who like crushes it and the stamps.com of the world. And erectile, yeah. erectile dysfunction. And then like video game people. And then universities. University yeah. of Phoenix crushes it. I think I think them and like Full Sail are in the top like twenty of spenders sure on Google. Spenders.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, ITT Technical Institute running TV ads and stuff like that. That's what I would do. So I'd basically go through podcasts. I'm going to blanket them. Every every intellectual podcast that the parents listen to, I'm going to blanket it with with ads for this. Um, and the ads aren't apply apply now. Come here. The ads are going to be about how hard it is to get in about it's going to be more native stuff about controversy. Is it right or wrong that the school is so hard to get into that it's only for the gifted and talented that they're discriminating and only allowing the smart kids in? And I would actually drum up controversy around that in order to uh, to build the brand because There's no better brand than a brand of something you can't get into.
1: So there's this amazing article that says, lessons you can learn from for-profit universities on cost-per-click advertising. The University of Phoenix in the last five years has spent $3 billion in marketing. On Google alone, it's estimated that they're spending roughly $5 million a month. And they receive roughly 70,000 to 80,000 clicks per month off of Google. That's insane. That is insane. That's now, wild.
0: What else would I do? Okay, so I'm spending a ton of money on ads. Um, I hired the best branding agency in the world. I'm spending money on the speaker's fees. Again, I'm spending, spending, spending. Now, how do I make money? Okay, well, obviously, you have things <laughs> like your tuition. But I actually think there's another another way you could do this. It involves my good old friend, NFTs. Okay, so uh, hear me out. Hear me out. You're going to respect <laughs> this idea when you're here. Have you ever seen when a stadium launches that they sell something called PSLs? Do you know what those are?
1: Is that like season ticket holders for a certain period of time? Or like founding think, club members? You would think you're
0: paying twenty five, fifty thousand dollars 50000 Oh, you must be getting tickets. No, no, no. You got a personal seat license. And the license just allows you to buy the ticket. You can't even buy the ticket without the license. So literally, imagine every chair in the stadium. And they basically have their own license. Each one has its own license. You have to buy the license in order to buy the tickets. But once you buy the ticket, now you can... Now you can sell it. Now you can sell the license. You can sell whatever, right? They use this to fundraise. So I kind of had this idea about universities, which was, if I wanted to start a university, let's say it was going to have you know, 5,000 or 10,000 students a year. Well, why wouldn't I sell 10,000? Why wouldn't I mint a 10,000 NFT package around this? And again, I built the brand up. I have a real story here. Unlike most NFTs, I have a real story. And the story is this. What would it be worth to buy a seat at Harvard? to own one seat in every admissions class at Harvard. You could use it for your own kid. You could gift it out as a scholarship, or you could sell it to somebody who wants to go to Well, yeah, because
1: the the, the, the value of a rental property. The value of a good diploma, it should go up every decade. So like a Belmont University, they don't have any street cred, so like my value isn't going up. A Harvard, a Stanford goes up, but then if they have a controversy like Penn State did, it goes down.
0: Correct. And so I want to have ten thousand admissions licenses essentially. So this is a, a a ticket you buy. There's one of one. You own it. You could decide if you use it, if you gift it, or if you rent it out to a student that year, and it's going to pay you rental income. You're going to get a piece of the revenue, or a piece of the profits from the from the uh, from the from the tuition. Now, I think that you could sell these for. Probably at least twenty five thousand, if not fifty thousand each, right? So, like, uh, I think that's a low end for what you can do if you again tell the story properly, and uh, your boy's a good storyteller. So, let's say we get we end up getting to fifty thousand dollars a piece. We sell ten thousand of these. Um, I just raised five hundred million dollars. Okay, so yeah, that's a that's a pretty big initial set of funding. But I think you could do that to get this off the ground without having to go get rich VCs or billionaires to fund this thing. And so, I think what you could do is do maybe 10,000 or 20,000 dollars per per seat here sell 10,000 of these and you know we're going to price these all in eth that's just 5 eth 5 eth that you own uh you know a seat at this prestigious university and so I don't know if I would do it year 1 but maybe year 2 I would move to that once I've built a little bit of the brand momentum and I would say uh you're going to own something that's going to pay you back every single year so you might have spent 10 grand on it but you're going to get back you know, two grand a year or $1,000 a year in in income. Plus you own this prestigious asset that's going to appreciate over time
1: and you can sell your whole seat later. I think you answered the shit out of this question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that's a, that's that, it's a very compelling argument. I would probably do normal tuition, but I understand that. Well, you do component. normal tuition
0: in addition. That's the beauty of these PSLs. You do normal tush- tuition on top of selling this initial seat. It's just that person gets a rev share of the tuition.
1: The biggest thing that's wild here is, is that you can go onto DealStream, which I am, and I'm looking at universities that you can buy. Here's a university for $8.5 million that you can purchase, fully accredited, which I don't know what the value of that is, uh, and you get a campus. Yep. Uh, this particular university had peak enrollment in 2017 with $2 million in revenue. This is wild. This like, is there's wild. one right here,
0: fully accredited university, Southern California. A fully accredited yeah. university in SoCal, all right? 25 million. It's accredited. Its degree is recognized all around the world. They the school can offer F1 visas, so you know we're getting that international student money. Because you know who likes being accepted into a hard to get into program in the United States more than a U.S. citizen? Somebody in China. And so we are going to go ham on international students. We're going to you know uh, that's going to be a big part of the marketing. So this says the, the school has about 900 students enrolled in undergrad MBA and DBA programs. Um, there's one physical campus and one branch campus,
1: so they I think this particular one has it says Title Nine is possible. And I think with Title Nine, I think that means you get government funding for sports. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're eligible for for getting funding uh, from it. and th- th- this is crazy, right? So I would you know I would just
0: keep my eyes peeled for about a year. I would go around and you know one thing that every rich person likes is the idea of like fixing education. And I would just go tell them this is a school that you would have wanted to go to, right? It's a school that is, um, you know, based around people who actually build things and make things. It's going to be a school that prioritizes projects over lectures. It's a school that is, um, you know, it's uh, it's competitive. And, it and it's is, not online. It's not online. And we're trying to uh, build the next brand. These old brands, like, you know, the, even the best, you know, the, the Harvard's, the Stanford's, the whatever. There hasn't, you know, what where is the new one these are like hundreds of years old there's an opportunity to build something fresh and we want you to be a part of it you know i think that that pitch would get a lot of people excited to cut you know I think checks
1: i think that was a 9.5 out of 10 pitch right. i think you did pretty good you did a great job by starting it off of what do you think harvard's worth and i'm like i, I don't even know unlimited right. money not it's 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 not even sellable probably it's not even buyable rather what's stanford worth what's university of penn i, I like it's i don't know it's they're, they're it's invaluable almost um, that's a that's a very good pitch. Bravo. All right. Well, um, that's,
0: that's the episode that is the how to make a million bucks and how to make a million dollars
1: uh, from, from your boys at My First Million. A million and a billion. That's the pod.
0: I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to.
1: I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back.